Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One day in the pub, Seb and Verity were socializing with hilarity. They knew there and then that their options were vast. Seb Philpot. And my name is Verity Simmons. And this is Three, <laughs> three in, in a, a bar. bar. Oh, I was waiting with anticipation to find out what it was. And that's what it is. Yeah, yeah it is the same thing again. Three <laughs> in a bar. Hey, uh, if you tuned in last week, uh, you may have noticed there wasn't a show last week. <gasps> Did you miss us, Tumbleweed? Did you, <laughs> did you notice? Um, oh, well, we missed you virtually we, we did miss you we yeah we basically had a slight um uh what do you call it we we, we messed up slightly we, we just it was sort of down to logistics and timing and yeah. basically we didn't have a an episode in the in the no. can to, to put out we, we i think we got a bit uh, of, got a bit casual maybe a little bit uh took our eye off the prize last week but it was okay we knew we had somebody marvelous to come didn't we <laughs> we did yeah yeah we just uh we we were gonna do it on on like the Friday before the Monday yeah. uh, to put it out and just record it literally three days before we were going to put it out. And, uh, <laughs> we, it just didn't work. And, and, and so we had nothing. So we, we had a week off. No, it was but, like it was like a MasterChef. Where, do you remember this in old MasterChef where they have the plates and at the very end they Lloyd put a spotlight? Them. Yeah, yeah, with Lloyd. Yeah. They do a spotlight on the plates and occasionally the person wouldn't have got it done in time. So you just have a spotlight and there'd be nothing underneath it. Oh, so <laughs> we sad. were that equivalent, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well um well we have actually got something for you this week yes we um, have we've, we've learned our lesson what we're gonna just uh we're gonna just make sure we have at least one show uh in the bank just ready <laughs> yes uh, but we've got a guest this week and uh verity would you please tell us who it is oh we've got the king of the west end i'm gonna say oh, it is wow. i know I'm quite a touch. He's a musical director and he's an yeah. arranger and he's an orchestrator and he is Alan Williams. Yeah. Yes. He is Alan Williams. And uh, you may have heard of him. You probably have. Yeah. If you haven't heard of him, um, I shouldn't have started with may have heard of him. I've <laughs> heard of him. Um, he's done so many different shows. Um, I've got a sort of list here I found online. Of, There's of so many. Go done. on. Um, 
now I've got here. He, he's recently, up until uh, last year, was doing Aladdin in the West End. Yeah. Um, he did a Vita last year with uh, with me and Avita. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, it's okay. Um, I can be a Vita. Let's go with that. Also, uh, we did uh, me and Verity did Funny Girl with him. Yes, Savoy, which is brilliant. Uh, what else? Uh, Assassins, Shrek, Town, Shrek. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else? Passion. The commitments. That was a while ago. The commitments. Yeah. Um, oh, very he recently, did. he's just done the boy in the dress at Stratford, hasn't he? Yeah, the which new we David spoke. Williams, yeah, uh, Robbie Robbie Williams show exactly. Which we spoke to Laura uh, Bangay about because she was also working with him on that. Um, sounds right. like yeah, a yeah. brilliant show. Yeah, it does, and it's hopefully coming to the West End soon. Yeah. And what else? He's done so many different things. So um, we uh, we had a chat with him uh, this week. And we came, went to his lovely house and yeah. we spoke to him uh, at length. And it's very interesting finding out all about what uh, musical directors do. It was. It was really interesting. There's an yeah. excellent moment to listen out for where, where Seb, you try and... I think you're trying to sum up what he does as an orchestrator and um, <laughs> and an arranger. And, and you come out yeah. with an... Ex- I mean, it's, it's great. You get a lot of information into it and try and ask him if that's what he does. And then he just sums it up in a sentence. <laughs> Very well, yeah. That's, right. that's lovely. Um, yeah, he... Um, he's uh well he knows what he's talking about he's a he's a proper expert he's a he's a great musical director and uh yeah got loads of uh, experience to share so let's get cracking let's go and listen to this um conversation we had with alan williams Hey, so it's really good, actually, like we were just saying, that there's all these cues of all these shows that you've done. Incredible shows. All the stairs. Yeah. Like, there's such a range. You've done such a range of shows. Do you have a preference on whether it's a... When you're MDing, whether it's a massive band or whether it's a small kind of chamber ensemble? I love doing them all. They're all good for different reasons. I do love doing them all. But I will say that... If I had to pick, then I, there's nothing better than standing in front of a big orchestra. You know, the more musicians, the better, because that's just the air that shifts through, you know, in front of you. That you, What you feel with that is just incredible. You can't beat that. So I will always be like, the bigger the show, the bigger the orchestra mm. um, is going to be my preference. But that's not to say that, you know, some shows just don't need a big orchestra, don't want a big orchestra. For, yeah. Because you know, they're all different styles. Um, you know... Um, yeah so every show suits different things mm. but if I had to choose then yeah a nice big big <laughs> as possible but what's the big would it be Chorus Lion of the ones you've done Chorus Lion had 19 19 or maybe. that could be the biggest yeah. actually what was Aladdin that was quite a big it was 15 oh. um, right. it's funny I can remember these numbers because yeah. you get so used to yeah. you just know them off yeah. the top of your head yeah we're just going to keep challenging you yeah exactly because you're always trying to fight for more players yeah and so Funny Girl for instance there was four versions we had the what was it we had the Chocolate Factory version the Savoy version the Tour version so three versions of course so we had, it was 10 14 11 so that was yeah because obviously at the Savoy the glory days, as I like to think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you'd had to upscale the orchestrations to go into. Were you were you involved with that? Yeah. That well, they, it was always a thing because ten was the biggest we'd ever had. Mm. The, the chocolate factory we'd ever had. 
So ten, apparently 10 pieces. So we sort of got 10 yeah. because it was going to be um, transferring to West End. We knew at that point it was going to be transferring. And they, so they were prepared to pay a bit more money. And they need, it was funny girl. It was a big show, needed more musicians. And um, so we got 10. And then, of course, Gypsy was in the Savoy before Funny Girl. And we'd started um, the show and the show had opened. And I just thought, people are going to compare this to Gypsy. Right. We can't go in with another Julie Stein show into the same theatre with, I think, five musicians less. I think they had 15 or something like that. Did you do Gypsy? No, I I, uh, I sat in once. Oh, well, that's as good as. <laughs> good, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's more cool. <laughs> yeah. well, moving on. <laughs> um, I didn't ask to do it. <laughs> anyway, so so I spoke to the producers and the director, and I said, I think you know we don't want to leave ourselves open here to criticism from the yeah. press. You know, we need the reviews to be good, and they're going to hear this. It just doesn't sound as good because the thing with Gypsy, what they did was they got that, but they just sort of just cut the strings, didn't they? I think they went right. We're going to make a decision where. We're not having strings. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you just couldn't do that with Funny Girl. It no. didn't work. You know, it, Gypsy lent itself, but Funny Girl didn't. Yeah. So therefore, we had one violin at the chocolate factory, and then you know three saxes and three bass. I think it was at that point. Yeah. So we had a bit of everything. You know what I mean? Which is fine. But then you put that into a bigger theatre, and mm. the bit of everything sounds small and weedy because you haven't quite fulfilled the demands of any particular section in the, the band yeah so that's why i was nervous about it and thought this isn't quite going to work and it's not going to be as successful as gypsy was musically because of that so um and the producers agreed with that which was great yeah and they, um, we got four extra i think so and yeah um, funny girl was 14 by the point it came yeah. but then there was a funny thing because of course you'd those sort of shows generally would be stick conducted but in all, we said, well, yeah, but we've been doing this from the piano for the whole one at the Chocolate Factory. Rather than go to a stick conduct and lose a player, let's keep it as the piano MD yeah. thing and get another player. And that's how we then managed to get the French horn as well. Oh, yeah, I, I guess all those instruments um, are quite important tools uh, in when you're orchestrating. So a French horn and a cello can bring a real sort of broad... Uh, if you're going for a kind of Hollywood sort of sound, they, they can right. quickly Absolutely, give those yeah. kind of colours. Um, so I guess you could you could argue those for those instruments quite, quite oh, well. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it made a huge difference. The Savoy sounded definitely, yeah, much definitely. bigger yeah. than it did at the Chocolate Factory. Um, Was that funny, though? Like, um, So going from the Chocolate Factory where you're set up and it's working really well, the band's really, like, unified... Was it strange sort of then going to this bigger setup? Did you have to sort of readjust things in your mind about how it worked or or did it just... Not really, no. It was just better. Everything yeah. was just better. It was just more enjoyable because you had, everything was yeah. filled out more. It's quite funny because um, uh, at the Many A Chocolate Factory, you, you've kind of, it's, there's a certain charm to it. It's a very unique space and things usually are just designed for that space. And then sometimes they might get, they might get transferred and then they'll adapt to whatever theatre is but with that i guess it because it was set up with like a proscenium yeah like mini savoy yeah, theatre yeah. within the menu yeah. um, oh, so it yeah it was it was kind of almost like when you watch the show it was like this is just like kind of a taste of what it's gonna look like in the savoy yeah that's what it felt like i i, yeah. I watched it one night yeah. <laughs> uh, 
took a show off to watch it and um <laughs> good and, thank you and uh such a kiss ass isn't it <laughs> it's painful no, no but i can't i get to see the show i can't imagine what it was like when you're just sitting there every night mm. playing not knowing what it's like what that's going so i yeah. have to I, if i was you i'd, I'd do the yeah. same just to I, I really yeah. curiosity yeah and i went to the uh went to make a cup of tea in the in the kitchen in the interval and darius dinesh was in there i was like oh my god i just watched you on stage i couldn't believe it, it was like i've been We'll play with you this whole time and suddenly I've wow, you're you're Nicky Arnstein. It's like just believe it. It's like, oh great, it's yeah. Hit, like, was great. Yeah. Oh, great, thanks great. so much. Yeah, great. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll play the trumpet. He didn't probably didn't remember who I was, but uh, no, he's very nice actually. He is very he's nice. He's lovely, I'll wasn't never, he? Never forget Doris's New Year's Eve party. Oh yes. <gasps> Oh my god! Oh, about I'm that. so disappointed that I was. I know. I'm gutted. Oh my god! I've heard it was amazing. Like pool party in a penthouse flat by the Thames. Wow! There must have been fifty, hundred people. I don't know. And there was staff. There's like staff there just with punch all night. The only drink <sighs> was punch. It was just punch everywhere, and they're just serving punch. And He's... the theme was Hawaiian, so we all had to dress up in. Um, you know, summer gear, which is amazing in December when it's freezing cold outside and you just like, oh, let's do summer because there's a pool. And like, it was just amazing. Yeah, I paid for that two days after. But it was, so I, Darius will always have a special place in yeah. all our hearts. Like, Real life, Nicky Arnstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's also a really nice bloke. Yeah. yeah he's very nice. Lovely so aura. He's, yeah. he's a tall, he smells good. And he's, just, he I does. Think he smells I don't good. remember. No, I don't remember. Like. He, no, yeah. I, I feel like he does. He looks like he, he looks like he would smell yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. He's so enthusiastic as well, wasn't he? I like that he'd just yeah. pop up every I now and again. It. Hey, guys. But hey. He was. Bless him. So we, you know, we, so we rewrote Funny Girl. There was a new book because it's a revival. So there's a brand new book sort of by Harvey Fierstein. And um, we part of writing the new book was they wanted to beef up Nicky Arnstein's story in act two because oh, yeah. in the original he's just sort of there and he's a bit of a wet character and doesn't yeah disappears in a way and it was the barbara's rising show and that's what it became so there was a general feeling that nikki needed to be a bigger character in so in doing so um we went through the trunk songs julie stein trunk songs to try and find some cut what, songs. Trunk song oh so a song is a song that got cut so they get oh, shoved in the trunk from the original yeah show. Yeah, or the film yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So the song we ended up with that we found in the trunk, which actually um, came from Michael Feinstein. So Julie Stein had given his, or you know, left, I don't know, maybe his widow um, had given the trunk to Michael Feinstein. So he let us have a look through the trunk and we found a few songs and two of which ended up in the show. One was the big um, act two number four, Nicky Arnstein. Yeah. So... And we sort of decided we were going to do this, and I sort of played a version of it because it was only a lead sheet. There's no, um, yeah, yeah, no arrangement to it, nothing at all. Um, so I'd played it to him, and we were going to need to sort of like um, adapt it to what we needed musically and stuff. Um, but of course, because Nicky Anthony's not in the show for certain chunks, so we were already rehearsing. So Darius would have loads of time in his hands, and he'd go <laughs> off. He'd go off in another rehearsal room and he'd come out. I've got a great idea. Do you want to hear my, ly- my new lyrics for the show? Do you, do you want to hear my new lyrics for the song, Alan? You know, it's, I was like, Darius, you can't rewrite the lyrics. You can't <laughs> rewrite this. You can't. Like, oh, but I've just, I've just come up with this really great melody. You know, how about this? And I was like, Darius, thank you. No, you. <laughs> so bless him. He's very, very keen. I was like, can't do that. <laughs> I think 
your mind does, especially in a long run or something, your mind does do funny things, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you, you know, you spent so long like keyed into it. And actually, I think when you get further into to the run, that's where things like nerves are a real, real thing. I, I found that, I've, I think I've talked about this to maybe Rachel Lander, actually, about on Funny Girl for a while, like, you know, four months in, suddenly having this, like one thing just stuck in my mind about something and it was ridiculous yeah, but all yeah. of a sudden it was just like because you've got a bit of time you're not yeah, focusing on every single thing yeah. and you start obsessing, obsessing about stuff about yeah I mean, doing a show eight times a week mm. is, is is really hard and it just doesn't suit everybody not everyone can deal with it yeah and it's funny having done aladdin for three years which is the longest i've ever i've ever done a show and all those people that did that show with me in the band um who were all uh, pretty much worked with all of them before um, they might not necessarily know this, but I observed changes in them really? during that three three years. Definitely, yeah. I, people were different on that show than they had been on other shows. Um, I mean, they still played great. You know, they sounded great. Mm. Of course, they did all the all the way through. But there's just little stuff and just the way, just behavioural things, and because it's so. Because I'm always very aware and I try and observe. And once you're doing something three years, I mean, you're not yeah. having to think very hard by year three about what you're doing. So you're therefore you're thinking about other things. And I'm observing and I'm watching them, seeing how people are playing and listening still to how they're playing and stuff just changed. And yeah. it, it's it's just hard to do it eight shows a week. I sort of believe no one would ever, this is quite controversial, no one would ever um, go for this, but I think two years is the limit. No one should mm. ever do a show for longer than two years. Um, I just think yeah. it's impossible. And was there it, anything you could do during that time? Was there anything you did? Like, did you have? Would they ever? I, if you had a new casting or something, would they have a new rehearsal period or anything like that? To not for the band. No, no. the band just turn up for the dress rehearsal, and a new cast is no real difference. No. So therefore, they're looking at three years of, you know, and of course, mm. it's great. It's great paid work and it's security mm. so no one's ever going to leave that unless they get another show or they have to um so actually when the show got its notice i think everyone was sort of relieved there wasn't mm. too much depression and down i mean we got a long notice period as well so everyone was able to prepare which is always great um i think they got like 11 months notice or something it was so ridiculous oh, like wow. which in yeah. a way was worse because then we we're all like oh the ends are near so yeah you know the end's coming yeah um but it meant everyone could plan, so people weren't too depressed about it. And I think everyone sort of, in a way, was relieved. It's like, yeah, great. I, you know, I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. not, not, we're not grateful for it. And it was great, but I just think, yeah, too long. Three yeah. years is not healthy for anybody. And I think, you know, people are always getting out and doing other things, playing wise. And if you don't, then it's just a like a death wish. I think. To yeah. Your if you yeah. don't, if you aren't able to get out and do other things. And, you know, sometimes you just go, if you're not doing too many gigs, then I would say go and dep on another show just yeah, just to... Um, to get your hand out of that something. shape that it forms. When exactly, yeah. <laughs> the claw. Yeah. And just listen to some different people, yeah. work with some different players, play yeah. some different music. But, of course, you were off doing lots of different things during that time, Aladdin. I, I, yes, I mean, I Big Fish lucky. happened during that time. And did, yeah. Were you already... And there were, well, there were lots of things. Was the commitments on? Commitments went on tour. Funny Girl went on tour. Yeah. Shrek has done a couple of tours. So once Aladdin was open and was doing mm. that, I was able to juggle and sort of be conducting the show at night and be rehearsing another show or auditioning another show during the day. So I was lucky that I had other stuff to focus, as in you know, to sort of know I was working towards. So I wasn't just looking at open-ended, just doing Aladdin. There was other stuff. Yeah. Which actually made me better at Aladdin because yeah. I, I was able to 
put things into perspective better. Mm-hmm. You come back and you go, um, and you would notice stuff more if you if I've been off for a couple of days. Yeah. So actually, yeah, I was much better because of that. Um, so therefore, I'd argue that I, yeah, it was sort of doing a better job on the show because it kept me fresher. Absolutely. Um, so um, Aladdin, but was that is that probably? I mean, that, that's Disney, so that that's like. Is that the biggest sort of production you've you've been involved in, or maybe one of the biggest companies you've been, been involved with? I get. Well, Shrek was DreamWorks. Oh yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's quite um, pretty similar, isn't it? It is similar, and yes, they're both very big, but of course, they're actually quite rivals. So that's quite controversial for me to say. <laughs> yes, because as big as Disney. Of course, um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so <laughs> However, um, Shrek in a way felt a bigger show. There were more people involved in Shrek than oh, there was really? in Aladdin. Aladdin was weird because Aladdin was a big success on broadway massive success mm. and they then decided to roll that production out around the world and then they they the only thing was they scaled the only difference was musically they scaled the band down from 18 on broadway to 15 oh, yeah. and that was going to be they were rolling it out around the world with a 15-piece orchestra we weren't even the first ones to do that because they did the 15-piece in germany first mm-hmm. so basically they were sort of rolling out this show which um so it was tried and tested. Everyone knew what it was. So we were sort of left to get on with it and just make sure it happened. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Shrek hadn't been a success on Broadway, lost a lot of money. They did a year. Um, so things needed to change. Things needed to be done. They did a bit. They did some changes for a tour, but everyone thought that, that everyone's eyes and hopes were on London and making that success in London. And that was partly because the co-producer was Neil Street, Sam Mendes' um, Neil Street um, yeah. Productions. Um, and an amazing producer called Carol Newling, um, who was, is just brilliant because she's so determined and she's, she's really, really, you know, she wanted the show to be a success. She believed that it would be a success in brilliant. London. And so, and it did, it ran for two years and has done two tours. So it's been a much bigger success here than it has in America. That's a huge leap of faith then, isn't it, for them that they took that on? I wonder what it was that they saw that they thought would work so much better over here. Can you pinpoint I don't know. It? I think well, when you do something, I think they had a, they threw a lot of money at it. I, to start with, I think they went right. You know, we want this to be massive. We're going to throw as much money as as you want at it, and they did. And that doesn't always make you be creative. No. I think restrictions and boundaries and budgets actually stop you. They they, they make you be creative. Mm. You have to be more inventive and you have to think harder. Mm. Um, I mean, I know that from the orchestrating. Like you orchestrate for a little eight piece, and it's so much harder. It makes you have to be yeah. cleverer and think of it rather than orchestrating for a fifty piece orchestra. It's so it's really easy. Yeah. Um, well, I say easy, but you know, it's, it's <laughs> easier. Anyway, yeah. so um, we were on track, weren't we? Yeah. And um, so they kept working. So changes kept being made. And I think once they'd seen it on Broadway, they knew what didn't work and what they needed to do to change it to make it work. Um, and so they, we kept working. We had a long preview period, a long rehearsal period. And we kept working to make it better. And then there were some more changes made for the first UK tour. And then we actually made some more for the last one. So it's what's been great about Shrek. Nearly finished. As well. <laughs> well, we just did it in Australia, actually, over Christmas. I went over oh, for right. Christmas. Um, and that, that was a great production. That was sort of the best of everything, in a way. Yeah. Everything had come together and going, it was the best the best version of the mm. show, I thought. Um, that got caught short unfortunately in march but th- and they did this weird thing so i got all the dates for shrek in australia and it was an opening on new-, new year's day 
Oh, wow. And I was like, who would have been <laughs> a show on New Year's Day? Why would yeah. you do that? Sort of teching on like Boxing Day or something. Yeah, yeah, it was all that. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Um, and we worked on New Year's Eve up until, um, you know, six o'clock or something, had the evening off and then came in and did the first show. And apparently it's because that's their um, Christmas holiday. That's their big summer break. So oh, January course. is the busiest time for a kid's show. So they wanted it open first of January to, and then it ran in Sydney for the rest of January to. Oh. It's something like we just hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. You don't know that at no. all. We, but that's how it works over there. So did it feel like um, plain sailing? Well, not plain sailing, but easier going in, having done it so many times before in London, then out on tour and things, going over there to Australia, getting them started. Did you, did you feel like, okay, know what I'm doing, got oh, absolutely. this? Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. And it's... Um, yeah, you sort of don't have to. You just know the you know the pitfalls. You know where people yeah. trip up. You know you just preempt everything. You know what what yeah. to do because you've done it so many times now. Um, but what was nice about it is sort of there's been always, always a couple of year gap before I've had to teach the show again, um, which is always nice. So it means you never come into it going, oh god, right, I've got to do this. Yeah, again. you're doing it's sort of it's always and it's always nice to come back to it because it's actually a really great score. There's so much in it. The detail, you know, Janine Tadori writes great um, songs and the orchestration is amazing as well. So it's always a joy just to come back to that. Yeah. That music. And the audiences love it. It's such a good story. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that has been a great. I mean, so that show has been in my life for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Which so, is sort of. Since you're at secondary school, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thank you. Anytime. <laughs> so maybe we could compare like a well-oiled machine like that to to something smaller chamber maybe a small chamber orchestra or a small ensemble where where you've been involved from the very beginning um but i guess you sorry you're involved i get but shrek had a sort of a genesis in broadway i suppose didn't it and then you were involved but, yeah but, but we sort of came very early on yeah, to the, mm. the, new, yeah. To the new version but yeah. is there something where you're brought in and it's like maybe new music or it's a revival but it's like you're just doing it from starting from scratch basically starting from the lead sheets and then i'd just be interested like the process of that of like arranging the music and then and orchestrating it or hiring an orchestrator and what that's like as a process well it is it's interesting because you talk about revivals and new musicals both of which are so different such a different process and everything is right. so different. when it's a revival um it's easier because you've got something that's tried and tested or not or mm. perhaps hasn't quite worked um so therefore you're doing a new take on it your new spin so you're still making creative choices you're choosing new ideas you've got new stuff going on you're um, working with the director who's got a vision for it um but you know if it's a revival it, you might have a new orchestration but the songs are what it is the structure is what it is mm. Although Funny Girl actually was different because that was a new book. So that was a big revival. So, for instance, when we did Assassins, which yeah. we did together, yes. when we first worked together, yeah. that was, you know, every word and every note of that um, show we honoured. Yeah. Um, same with Evita, actually. Mm. But mm. everything on top of it, so the production was different. Um, whereas when you, uh, Funny Girl was a brand new book, so there was a lot of music needed to be written to... Um, you know, transitions, new arrangements, new yeah. extending stuff. And um, like I said, we added trunk songs. So we added some new songs. We added a couple of songs from the film. Um, suddenly, like the number Henry Street became a big production number. Um, yeah. 
So all that, that stuff. Was so, so amazing, by the way. I just remember that, that one. Was, that I was love, so good. I remember coming to sit in and that. watch that, and that yeah. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Funny Girl was a was almost like doing a new musical, hmm. but however, everyone knew the tunes. Yeah. But actually, as an arranger, because I came, I was an arranger in all of that. It was such a delight because they're amazing tunes, and it's like there's so much you could do with them, and because and because they're just great tunes and harmonically it's really interesting. So you, yeah. you sort of, it was a gift. It was sort of one of the nicest things to ever have to be given to do that, to arrange a revival of Funny Girl. Um, How did that, that work then? So did you, I mean, because that, I mean, yeah, you, you can listen to old recordings from from Broadway or, or West End, whatever exists, and, and then you've got the film um, recordings. But um, do you... I guess the arranging you're doing is probably for the trunk songs and a lot of that and the transitions and stuff. So how are you sort of working from lead sheets there and then you kind of... Well, the trunk songs were lead sheets, yes. They, so they were that lead was. sheets. And then lead. what happened, so we decided we were going to have this and then all of a sudden the director said, actually, no, I think the three boys should be in it as well. So I, I did then a close part harmony um, arrangement of the song to incorporate these three. Yeah, and yeah, then it, right. everyone was loving it. So I'm like, actually, let's make it a dance number. I was like... Okay, right, so I'll put a dance break in there. And then, of course, it went, everyone loved it so much that they wanted the dance break to be longer. So then I wrote another extended dance break for when we went to the Savoy. And, of course, with the bigger orchestra, it was um, great to be able to do that. Mm. But then there was a lot of underscore that I had to do as well. We we sort of wrote wrote new underscore, new intros to songs. Because, of course, back in the day, the way you got from song, when that song, that show was written, the way you got into a song from a scene was very different to how we would do that now just because um it's got to be slightly more seamless now Mm. than it was you know back then there'd be a little bit more shameless about starting a song whereas now we really have to sort of get into it seamlessly without really noticing because i think people are just a bit more like why are you singing yeah like that question now i just think even i go and see a show and i go why are you singing or i go don't (laughs) sing you know and i love musicals but i think that now is so tricky it's really hard um, to get into a song it's just fine balance um so i did a lot of that as well doing all the um but so that stuff you 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 you're not you just go right this is a piece of underscore and i go right well it's those three characters and chatting away and they're having fun okay but we're just about to go into this song so i'm going to take the 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 melody from that song but do a little idea based on this sort of feel to underscore that and that just that sort of the composition element to it you then become a little bit of a composer which i really don't profess to be at all that's where i fall down because i i don't believe i can compose but what i can do is take someone else's tune and do whatever you like with it there might be people listening that um, aren't sure the difference between an, an arranger and an orchestrator um, and I think maybe there's a there's a sort of gray area where there's some overlap maybe but but I, I mean t- to me I think in arranging you're kind of deciding like the structure and like the, the key or like maybe some yeah. key changes and as you say like making sure that it's in the right key for certain instruments um, and like for, for the, the voices as well so you're, you're getting in the you might have to move to a different key for certain certain singer or something um and so then you give you give all that to the orchestrator and then they they decide what kind of colors and things to use musical mm. colors um is that kind of right is that i sort of have trying to think of it simply and go the arranger decides what note should be played and the orchestrator decides who plays them mm. oh it's so much more <laughs> there we are i think if you think of it if you think of it like there are so many ways of thinking it, and it 
it does overlap sometimes, but generally it's that. It's like the arrangement goes right. So, you know, pretty apart from the melodies in the main songs of Funny Girl, every note in that production was there because I put it there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows that. Nobody understands that. And that's a, as much as I don't want credit and I don't ever, I'm not an arranger because I want to be given loads of praise. It it does bug me slightly that people don't know. So people will go and see that. And yeah. there's so much music in it. And, and like, who wrote that? Where did that come from? Of course, Julie Stein wrote all the tunes, but all those other bits, the dan- why is the dancing temporary arrangement what it is? It's because I put all those yes. notes there. And the other one I did, so the, in comparison to Funny Girl, so Funny Girl, just recently I just did The Boy in the Dress, which was a brand new musical, yeah. and I was the arranger on that. And it's the same thing because... Um, um, Guy Chambers wrote the music for it and he writes the songs and he writes uh, the melodies and um, and the tunes that, that comes up with the harmony. But sort of everything else, all the dances, all the underscore, all the transitions, all that was me. I had to um, do all that. Um, but it's just, it's just, but that was, um, it was great fun to do as well because it was fun music, really good fun. But being a new musical, you know, it was changing all the time. Yeah. And things structurally didn't work and they needed to be, you know, rewritten or, yeah. and, you know, all of a sudden you had to come up with, you know, transition piece for a piece of set changing because um, it was new because we didn't know, you know, and it was, you're treading water sometimes to make, because they're still waiting for this set to change, you know, because yeah. it's in yeah, previews exactly. and it's, so you, that's different job and that is, um, I'm not going to lie, that is stressful, the new show, well, does the, new production. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. in a, a situation like that where you're working closely with the people, you know, Guy Chambers, who's written the music, how much is he then coming and sort of working with you on the on what you're doing with the arrangements? He was great because he didn't get involved in any of the dance underscore or anything. He great. He just left me to it. He was great. Um, I did all the vocal arrangements for the songs as well and... Um, he was great. He pretty much was happy with everything. I seem to remember, like, maybe the odd thing. I'm not we're not quite sure about that. And you go, yeah, yeah. fine, I'll just make it this. Because there's usually another version, another option. But he was really good. He seemed oh, very happy excellent. With, with, um, with what we were doing. I think he was happy with it. But, yeah, that sometimes, I guess, he might not have been and he would have got more involved. But then I think the thing is, if somebody is, wants to get more involved and they go, I don't like that, I don't like that, then there'd come a point where you go, well, why aren't you doing it yourself? Yeah, If exactly. you really don't like it, that I think if you have an arranger, if you're not going to do the arranging yourself, then you've sort of got to empower that person yeah. to do that, I guess. Yeah. And um, so orchestrating, you, you did that on Big Fish, didn't you? Yeah. How was that, doing yeah. that? Oh, it was lovely. I loved it, actually. Um, but I loved it because I loved the music. Mm. Um, I mean, I sort of fell into doing Big Fish. I'd done orchestration at college, and I'd used to, like, as a kid growing up, or orchestrate the parts for the amdrams and you know always do the orchestration but then when i left college and i started um working in the west end working with amazing orchestrators like doug besterman danny mm. troob larry hockman um like in my first few jobs those were the people i was working with you sort of work yeah. with them and you go you they're so brilliant and, and i never i then just was like well i'm not an orchestrator i'm i can't do what they do they are so brilliant at what they do so i i just sort of ruled it out and then um Years later, Big Fish comes up and we're trying to sort out who's going to orchestrate this new production of Big Fish. Because again, that was a, that was one. It was a that was weird because that was sort of 
wasn't a revival. It was a little bit like Shrek. It's like they'd done a version on it in America, but it hadn't worked. Mm. And then now we were coming back to it, reworking it, reworking the script, new director, and that's when I came in. But because it had been reworked so much, and it was at this point now being a chamber piece, um, we we were going to have a new orchestration. It needed to be reorchestrated. And um, so we sort of asked a couple of people. Then they either pulled out or weren't free. And it got to the point, I was like, I'm just going to have to do it myself. <laughs> and, and then there were a couple of names being suggested and I was like, I'm not sure they're right for it. I'd probably, and I sort of at the time when I'm not going to mess this up. It might not be the best orchestration as I know other people can do, but I know that I'll be able, I'll do a functional version of it. I know it'll work. So that's where I went into it. And um, because that score is so great and I just heard it in my head as a chamber version yeah. because I and love love the sound of the violin, love the sound of the cello, and was able to write for them to really showcase what a solo violin and cello sound like. There weren't many parts in that show where you had to do big tutty sections to try and make something sound full. So therefore you could really concentrate on the beauty of those instruments and really show them off. Mm. Um, so and then it was so rewarding. Then when you hear it and you go, because I'd arranged it as well, <laughs> done all the dance yeah. arrangements. And so you, I heard it and like, you know, I was really, that was very rewarding. But it was then that I realised that people don't know what you do as an arranger because I suddenly, you know, at the end of the sixth program, everyone's going, oh, Alan, you know, congratulations, you've done such an amazing job. And I go, yeah, but like my last show, I did all the arrangements, <laughs> yeah. wrote every single note and <laughs> nobody said anything to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's at that point, you know, they know what an orchestrator does, but they don't know what an arrangement yeah. arranger does. Yeah. So um, so I loved it um, and I would love to do more of it actually after that because yeah. I've um, got into it and I, I think that's the thing. I think what I can do is write. I, kn I know instruments so well from having conducted them for so many years and, mm -hmm. and I really, every night I'm doing a show and I'm MDing, I'm really listening to every single person in the band. So I, I know everyone's instruments. I know how they all work. So yeah. I think that that's what I'd like to think that I'm able to orchestrate because I know how to write for each instrument i'll never make an instrument do something it's not really designed to yeah. do no absolutely um so therefore i think i don't mess it up you know what i mean I yeah think i get a sort of i'm able to get it right yeah um so yeah i'd love to do more i like it yeah, yeah. and so you were saying in that one where you were so invested in it because you were orchestrating and arranging it how much do you and does it vary when you start a project like that where you're going in right from the very start and you, you know you're so invested in it do you have to keep part of yourself back because you know things like then when it comes to performing and reviews coming out or whether it's going to transfer and all these things oh yeah how much of a do you keep a bit of a distance i think i always am very realistic about every show i do mm -hmm. and, and i think being in the music department um we are in the best position because we sit in the corner of the room during so many rehearsals and are able to observe so we have i think generally the music department on any show has the best perspective mm. um in the room so I can be doing a show and you go, well, we're all, of course, everyone's all trying their best, but you might think, but that's not quite going to work or that's not going to necessarily go. And then sometimes like what happened with Big Fish, we all thought we had a hit. We thought, oh my God, everyone is loving this. They really were. And then the press absolutely tore it oh. apart. That stung a lot on that one. That's yeah. the only time I've really been upset by reviews because what that meant was we weren't going to then transfer yeah. as well, which we'd all sort of put so much into it because we loved it and we thought this isn't just for a short run in, in a small theatre we, yeah. we're going to get a, a life out of this so that one um stung a bit but generally when a show gets bad reviews of course it's disappointing but yeah you know you go well we did the best it just wasn't to their taste um, yeah 
Mm. And and I'm also I don't I'm you know some people invest themselves so much that they think that what they're doing is the best thing in the world, you know. And I've got um, no lots of people in the industry that are like that, and and they're so invested in it that they they just think they think it's absolutely brilliant. I don't get to that because I'm always maybe I'm just cynical, but I'm able to go, yeah, it's quite good, or this is yeah. good, but but it's not that, you know, it's not all that, and you can't always be in the best involved in the best thing in the world not everything is going to be but we all try our best to make it that but it just won't be naturally you yeah can't, absolutely you can't make it that so yeah um so but then you know we worked really really hard on the boy in the dress that was a, most recent that was so hard because it was a brand new show and again you know there's a lot of music in it a lot of new music for me to write so i put a lot into it and again that the hope was that that we'd do it in stratford and then would transfer which it then was going to until we got um, the lockdown happened and who knows yeah. that'll happen at some point um, in the future hopefully but um, I always thought I thought well the press are just going to compare this to Matilda so hopefully we'll get on we'll be alright but the press are going to compare it to Matilda and they didn't got amazing reviews that's oh. fantastic isn't so it so I was really surprised oh. that I woke up the morning going oh right, bonus <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way Didn't around for it to be yeah, exactly yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I was going to actually, I was going to ask you about, because you go over to Broadway quite frequently, don't you? Like, um, do you, when you're out there, do you, can you see the shows that you think, yes, that's, they're going to bring that over. That's going to be one that comes over. Can you work out the ones that maybe are not the ones that are working the best there or whatever, but you can see things that they will... Bring over here. Absolutely. I think you watch a show there and you, yeah, I can always tell. Well, often you'll sort of have an idea. You might know, oh, they're thinking of bringing that over here. So you already mm. have a bit of an idea and you watch and you go, yeah, of course that's going to come over. And, um, but then I've also gone over and gone, you know, I love that. I want to do that show. Yeah. It happened when I went to see, actually, the first time I ever went to Broadway in 2002, Hairspray just opened. A month later, I saw Hairspray and I was like, I want to do that show. Oh, wow. yes. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anybody who that worked on it at all at the time. And that was 2002. And I think we opened it in London in 2007. So then six years later, you know, things had happened. I'd got established and I was very, very lucky to get asked to do it. Um, yeah. And the same thing happened with Spamalot. I went to the show and I was like, I want to do it. And Aladdin, I sort of knew that I might be doing it. And friend like me, I watched it and I was like, I have to do this show. <laughs> you know, yes. Yeah. I mean, if I'd never yeah. do anything else, I have to do friend like me. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. 
So, um, but yeah, you do, you get a sense of what might work. And then, but then you get surprised. You know, now and yeah. again, something comes out and you go, oh God, they're bringing that over, you know. Yeah, <laughs> did I, not I, say that. No, no. <laughs> and I think, well, you know, great. I hope they find an audience for it. I hope that it takes off. But there's, the audience here is just very different. I yeah. Like, like, so Shrek had um, that journey where it's always a bigger success here. Um, Legally Blonde was a much bigger success over here, I think, mm. than it was over there. Um, there's been a few like yeah. that. And when you were last there, when were you last there, actually? I was actually last there in January this year oh. doing some auditions, yeah. So, Did you see much when you were out there? That... We Oh, my God, I saw um, a few things. I'll tell you about the good ones. Um, <laughs> the good ones, I saw Moulin Rouge, which was oh, rich, yes. which was great. It was such an, it felt like a theatrical event. Mm. The um the way they've done up the theatre and it just feels like you're at an, an event and it's great. So um hats off to them for that. That's and I that's coming over and that'll hopefully be amazing. Really, really well. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um but the other thing I saw was West Side Story. Oh so right. the Iva I what's his name? Ivo Van Hove director. It's a brand new production of West Side Story because um, it's the first time. I think the reason why everyone's doing West Side Story recently is because you don't have to do the Jerome Robbins choreography anymore. Right. Um, that was always a thing. Like you're allowed to do West Side Story, but you have to perform his original choreography. But that's changed the last year. That deal or whatever that he got set up, um, it's changed. So people are now doing wanting to do West Side Story and do their own take on it, doing a different version. However, I think most of the productions have been pretty like standard version yeah we'd expect western story to be however with different steps whereas this was a total rethink of west side story and it was just genius i oh, could not really? believe it. it was so brilliant so it's um no interval it's like 90 minutes they've cut i feel pretty yeah and they've cut some of the ballet and of course you hear about that and you go oh i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm okay with that <laughs> west side story can't mess with that but of course um sondheim is um um endorsed it and he because I, I always knew that he didn't like i feel pretty he's never liked i feel pretty but yeah. anyway he's happy for it to go um and you watch it and it's all these kids it's like 18 90 year old really diverse cast um look like their kids on the street getting into these fights and it's pretty much just an if the stage is massive it's an empty stage it's absolutely massive um but with loads of effects and really contemporary um theatrical ideas and it's absolutely genius. But what I thought was fascinating about it is that they performed the score in its entirety, apart from the bits they cut, but they performed it, the original orchestration, and exactly how, and it was sung beautifully. Oh. So what it did for me is just go, oh, my God, you've honoured this amazing piece of work by but putting a contemporary production around it. And in doing so, this score could have been written last week. Yeah. You go and it mm. feels so fresh. I mean, it's just Bernstein. It's just genius, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But you go amazing. and you watch it and it just felt like um, it it was so new. And well, you know all the tunes. Of course you knew them. But it felt like you were hearing them for the first time in this new setting and this brilliant. And it was just played beautifully. The orchestra was amazing. It sounded great. And the singing, although most of them were very, very young, was just beautiful. And it was oh. tastefully sung as well. Because, you know, often I have to deal with them. Um, people younger people singing that just slightly contemporized stuff and stylistically mm, they right. go to a pop place or a more a yeah, modern yeah. place trying to sing old so if they don't mean to there's just that that's how they used to sing it and they're not they've haven't been surrounded by those older legit songs as much so that's where they go and i always have to 
iron that out and work that out. Anyway, there's all these like young people just singing absolutely straight with no like potlicks or anything, no sort of swooping oh, around. Wow. So I absolutely loved it. And that's brilliant. And I don't know, they were, I heard a rumour that it might come over here, but I hope it does because I feel like everyone should see that. Yeah. Production. Oh, that sounds really exciting. So that was brilliant. Yeah. But that's sort of what we did with the Vita in the same way. Like every note was played and sung how it was intended. We didn't mess around with the score at all. Um, and in doing so, so it just forces the all the onus is on the production and the story, the way the story is told visually. Um, and I mean, I, I thought it was a brilliant production because it was yeah. new, it was inventive. And again, it felt like an event. It felt like a happening. And it felt like a lot of people that had... Um, seen Evita before and then seen this version particularly young people went oh now I know what Evita's about yeah so it's weird how actually having a contemporary telling of it and doing um, interesting new stuff with it made it clearer um, than it had ever been before yeah even though there's been traditional productions of it in the past and um, so it was the same thing though but musically I think the reason why it's so enjoyable for us and for the audience is that it was exactly how it was intended to be yeah I thought that was really interesting, actually, going from the orchestral call for Evita, with the obviously know the music, know the tracks, yeah, yeah. and then when they came in, and then getting out on stage, like I, it sounds obvious, but it's not necessarily that it just felt like, oh wow, this really is a massive event. It just changed hugely. The music sounded great, but it was like then you brought in like the staging and everything, and it just was so new, and it felt really fresh, didn't yeah. it? It did, so, yeah. yeah. Again, I think it just sort of makes it more hip and makes it more new. Yeah. And like it could have been a brand new show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that nice was that the, the music side of things is kept absolutely as originally intended and, and at such a high standard. Exactly. You, yeah. could, you could do something like that and you kind of just get like, I don't know, you could do it like actor muso version or something. Well, it's interesting. There was a, a, a revival of Oklahoma on Broadway. Um, recently that I saw last year, which was very, very critical, critically acclaimed and, um, you know, was, again, lots of theatrical tricks. It was new. It was felt relevant. If, um, and it was very... I, I enjoyed it. And, and there's a part... It's a big argument because the part of me was going, oh, okay, so this is how we get Rodgers and Hammerstein to live on into the next century. This is how we're still doing this show mm. 70 years later. And it is here and it's a revival and that's how... We're going to go. However, it wasn't as satisfying as me as Evita and West Side Story because they'd done a treatment with the music. So they had like a seven or eight piece sort of string band, you know, with banjos, guitars, um, accordion, you know. So you either like that or you don't. And yeah. For me, <laughs> I'm just like, I see why you've done this, but it'd be better if we if we were able to have how it was intended musically. Yeah. I think that's the thing with the revival though, what's hard and like, it's interesting to go back to Funny Girl when you do it, like you say, you do a small, a big, a revival of a big show in a small space, you sort of have to rethink it. But we couldn't with Funny Girl because we knew we were then going to go into the mm-hmm. But you, and especially as an orchestrator, you have to, you would have to then think, okay, I've only got this many people because you wouldn't want many more people in this space. Mm. You know, there's theatre that only seats 200, 300 people. Um, so you have to have an idea. You have to have a new idea of how to make that music work. Yeah. So that's what they did with Oklahoma and that's why they did that. Um, mm. So, and it's brilliant that they 
that they came up with that idea because that's completely original to be able to do that. But just for my personal taste, going back to the question about would you rather have a big orchestra or <laughs> yeah. not, actually, yeah. um, I'd rather do the revival, do the interesting, but do it on a bigger scale. So yeah. And honour it musically yeah. how it was intended to yeah, be. Yeah. But there must be times like you'd have to name your names, but yeah. where, where someone's been cast because they're famous, but can't necessarily sing or or do any of the. They've never been on stage before, so maybe they're. Um, I'm trying not to name any names, but but <laughs> there's, there's been more than you think. Actually, there's been a lot more. Like, so you don't need to name names because I've actually worked with a lot of yeah people that have been cast because they're a celebrity or they're, yeah. they're going to sell the show. They're not necessarily they didn't audition. Um, most of the time, you I might get a session with them around the piano to suss out what they can do or can do mm. or can't do, and then you have to say yes or no to the producers. Is this going to be okay? But there's also been times where you haven't had that luxury. The producers just tell you, "We're putting this person in the show," and you go, "All oh, right." And I just have to make the best of it. And it's I've had various degrees of it. You know, there was one person put in a show who I had to do music call with him every single day. You know, every morning oh, wow. I'd spend give him a vocal call every day for half an hour. Whole rehearsal program. There was another person who got another show who we had to send for not just singing lessons, but like coaching and singing lessons. And they saw somebody five days a week for like six months beforehand. Wow. Um, and are they generally compliant when when you're doing this? Because I mean, I guess it's like a sensitive. It is very sensitive. Different people, yeah, respond in different ways. Some people love it and go, "Oh my god, thank you." You know, it's great. But there's always that thing because I always with some people I go, you know, I want you to see singing teacher. I think I need another person to help me, like te- more technical singing teacher. So I think we need to get somebody in. And it's always difficult. How do you approach that with an actor? Because how yeah. do you say, oh, it's there's no way of dressing it up because it basically looks like you're not happy with them or yeah. you know, you're not doing it. So we need to get some extra help. It. That, that's hard. Um, and I've had to deal with that. And that, that's you know you can you there's just lots of you just have to think of lots of ways to dress it up and yeah. try and make yeah. it seem like it's not that you're not happy or just that you want extra support or help um but then there have been a couple of people who you know what i've cast and i've gone yep we have to cast we can cast them on the proviso they see um, a singing teacher that i've suggested yeah. or sometimes we pay for as the producers the producer will pay for them but they get cast on the proviso they go to these singing lessons for some period of time before um, and it's interesting because you know proper theatre people, people who love theatre and and have got the whole discipline of theatre, will do that and they'll turn up. But then mm. TV people don't necessarily want to do that because the thing with TV is that they just wing it. They turn up on the day yeah. and they wing it, and they don't really have to practice it. There's no rehearsal. There's no working at something. Yeah, and particularly presenters. Right. Yeah. Because they literally <laughs> used to just like they turn up and they absolutely wing it. So um, presenters are the worst to, for us to deal with <laughs> because they don't really want to work at getting it right and getting it better because they don't have to. They don't It's a different culture, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's not for them, it's not winging it. It's just that's just how what That's how, just the way they do it. Yeah. How it but is. to us, it's like, yeah. yeah, you're winging it. Yeah. Because we yeah, yeah. work really hard and put yeah. a lot of time and effort to get better during the rehearsal process yeah, yeah, to yeah. get this. So. So yeah, that's various. Must <laughs> <laughs> be times where, you, where you, you're literally just doing it phonetically, like okay, sing this word now, this word now, this you got pitch up there. Think of this to get like the right interval out of someone, or um, yeah. But sometimes it's better not to do that. It's better to approach it from a different point of view. So I'll always try and approach it from a level uh, or something that they understand. And sometimes that's the text. So I, if you get them to act it better, 
the music will perhaps fall into place right. enough, or it'll fall into place enough that you you forget about how the the um, <laughs> the singing not being perfect. Yeah. So, so you could like come up with a plan Z. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like we'll, just, we'll cut the band here. And we'll just <laughs> <laughs> you just do something for thirty seconds. Plus, it's yeah, yeah it's damage limitation <laughs> yeah. a lot yeah. of the time. You yeah, know, yeah. when you, you but you, but what you have to do. The main thing is like you know this person isn't going anywhere. We need this person to sell the show yeah. sometimes. So yeah, yeah. so I'm on board with it. It's not that I disagree with it, and I never do it reluctantly because you go well. There's a reason why. Yeah, we're yeah. having to put this person in. We just need a bit of help. Um, but what you're doing is you you have to go right. Well, I have to do everything I can to make this person sound as good as they can be, mm-hmm. and that involves changing the key sometimes, changing certain intervals. Um, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, they're, they're bringing something else that either whether that's just the financial thing, but yeah, yeah. They, are, they are bringing a certain energy that obviously they're really good at. Yeah, exactly. um, they're there for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. But maybe we're thinking, you know, when the revival of West Side Story comes over, that perhaps a <laughs> Piers Morgan isn't cast as Tony. <laughs> the difficulty, yeah. I'll tell you what's more of a difficulty, is dealing with the, agreeing with the director and choreographer about casting. Yeah. Because when they're not a name or they're not that, and you, you get somebody who's a really amazing dancer or they're a brilliant actor, but they're not the singer that you really need them to be. And what you need, what I've learned now, is I need the director to understand that they're not, if they're not a good enough singer, their performance won't work mm. Mm. and right. i think i'm getting better at that and I, or either i'm getting better at that i think the directors that i'm working with are more like that and they understand that or people are realizing that because i think there's been a period of like you know we really want to see actors in musical roles you know, yeah we've done that and i think we're through that now and i think people are going actually no it's really uncomfortable to see an actor at their way through a song that should be sung but you just have to be able to nail it and deliver mm. certain things musically otherwise why are we doing a musical? So I think that we're partly through that phase. Um, and I think directors are more understanding, you know, mm. I need to be able to put them on zero, i.e. centre of the stage, and yeah. then deliver a song. The And us all feel comfortable listening to that. Yeah. Don't, there's nothing worse than having the audience on the edge of the seat going, mm. can they get through Well, that's this? it. And those guys you got in Leeds for Evita were amazing. Oh, yeah, they were and, you know, great. I didn't know, I didn't know Sam Pauly or yeah. um, Trent. Like the Leeds, the Leeds. Oh, sorry, oh, so not in Leeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not from Leeds. They, they are, aren't they? I thought she was from Leeds. We travel specifically to Leeds. To <laughs> yeah, exactly. We trawled <laughs> the world and we found Che in Leeds yeah. at the football on a Saturday yeah. afternoon and Sam Pauly yeah, yeah. with her shirt on, Leeds yeah. shirt. Yeah, <laughs> but they were amazing. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, they're all great. They're all good singers. But again, Jamie knew. Like, I mean, partly it's a song. It's a show that. Um, sung through it's all about the music yeah so it needed to be sung and he said you know they have to be able to sing it otherwise mm. what's the point mm. however it's harder work for a director to work with a, a, a singer who's a singer first you yeah know, there's, there's like no one really is a singer dancer and actor equally no. you know equal skills i mean john barrowman <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, there are some. There are probably there's a handful, basically, but there's just so few yeah. that can do all those things. So you end up somebody has to work a bit harder, either the MD, the choreographer, or the director. Yeah. Um, one of us has to do do a compromise. Yeah. And um, and I've done it so much in the past, but I recently I haven't, and I think it's that's because I think people, like I say, are realizing. Um, 
and in a principal role, you know, it's not often they have to be an amazing dancer, thankfully. So it generally tends to be about the acting and the singing. Yeah. Hey, but talking of big stars, though, you um, you work well, you met Will Smith, didn't you? And didn't you play? For oh, him? yeah. During Aladdin? Yes, I did. How was that? <laughs> he was so nice. Was he? He was amazing. Bet he is. He was just oh, really cool. Him. It was great because we were doing this thing where um, it was the Make-A-Wish Foundation kids had been invited along to the premiere of um, the Aladdin film. Yes. So, and, and as a little treat and before it, they'd been told they were going to come and learn a song with the MD from Aladdin. So I cue mm-hmm. me, rock up, and I'm there to teach them Aladdin. But the surprise for them, although I knew this was going to happen, was that um, Will Smith was going to walk in and surprise them, um, which is a really lovely thing yes. for them. And they were so sweet, those Aww. children. And he came in and he was just so good with them. He wasn't just, like, nice to them. It's like he said some really inspiring, motivating stuff to them wow. that I just thought, God, you're a real, like, yeah. inspiration. That's just brilliant to yeah. to, to be able to say that because he didn't have to. He could have just been smiled and been, yeah. like, very polite yeah, and exactly. nice, well, as so many people would have, but he didn't. Yeah. He, was, he was trying to get down with them. He was, like, chatting away with them and having fun with them and just said some really, you know, good stuff. Um, and he was very nice. So uh, that was um, a really nice experience. But it was quite funny because I then was chatting to um, Michael Cosrin, who um, works on all Alan Menken's films and conducted the, the film. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I did this thing with um, Will Smith. And he went, oh, I never got to meet him. No. Yeah. Really? That's so I bizarre. met him doing this and he'd never met him. That's crazy, wow. isn't That's it? That's really telling, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, apparently they laid, well, yeah, they, <laughs> they laid his vocal down. Um, as a guide vocal, which is what they always do, they do films, they'll do a guide vocal, yeah. and then they'll come back to it and they'll put the orchestra on, and then after that, they'll redo it. Yeah. And um, But they never redid his. They were just like, yeah, it's guide vocals, fine, we'll just oh. stick with that. Blimey. Yeah, so you haven't got any dirt on him then? I don't, I mean, I know. I mean, I'm he, glad because he's lovely. He's but. so nice. <laughs> but what I couldn't believe was then he was telling them this story about um, something or other, about he'd done a... Um, uh, bungee jump or something and he went yeah you know on my 50th birthday and of course i forget how old i am and like that's what i'm rubbish <laughs> with ages but i looked at him and i was like oh my god you're you're 50 that's like, outrageous looks like i thought in my head he was 32 when you meet him and you look at him and you go <laughs> oh there's that 32 year old bloke yeah yeah and then he went on my 50th birthday you go wow the fresh prince yeah, exactly but then 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 when he said yeah. that i was like oh, well of course he's older than me because he did Fresh Prince of Bel-Air yeah. and Brimby. Right. I remember him looking like that when he was on Fresh Prince of yeah. Bel-Air. Yeah. I've heard that about him before, like um, people on, on sets or just in catering, he's like having some food in between takes and he just like, he knows people's names. He goes up right, to people yeah. like, how are you doing? Lovely to meet yeah. you. And it's, it's interesting because I think the bigger the star that I've ever met and worked with, the more humble and nice they've been. Like Ewan McGregor was so nice and Aww. easy and just normal. Just a normal bloke was very knew everyone's name, you know. When we did Guys and Dolls, he um he was in the show for something like the first six or nine months, and then um but of course the ensemble and the rest of the cast were contracted for twelve months. So on the final day of the twelve month contract, he came back into the theatre to see everybody and say hello and say bye bye to everybody. Like people don't do oh, that. Oh, that's right? lovely. Yeah, like, they just don't do that. It's a really nice thing to to do. And mm. um, he was very very nice, very easy to work with yeah and he was he just wanted to learn so we sent him to vocal um coaching vocal lessons mm. and he just 
he loved it because he just wanted to learn. He thought it was great and he knew he was getting better. Did um, you do that before Moulin Rouge? So we did, did my Moulin, Moulin Rouge and then we did Guys and Dolls. Ah. And, but Guys and Dolls was sort of off the back of Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Like we all, no one knew he could really sort of sing that much. And then he did Moulin Rouge and then I think the idea, that's how he was up for Guys and Dolls. Yeah. Because, he, because he'd done Moulin Rouge. Mm. And he wanted to do it. I mean, he like a film star like that and he did. It wasn't, no, so he, he was in the show six months, but I think by the time we'd previewed, done rehearsals and all that, his, his um, commitment to us was like nine months. So for a film star to give you nine months. That's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But what's great about him is that he does what he wants to do. So he's not, there's quite a few British film stars like that, aren't there? They don't just jump on the next big Hollywood movie. Yeah. They do what they want to do, which yeah. is yeah. great. Not necessarily for the money. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, generally I think the bigger the star they are, the, that yeah. level, the nicer they I always are. think like, if I was ever a massive star like that, I'd be really nice to everyone. <laughs> but I, I think you've got to start being like that from, from whatever level you are at. Yeah, you, you, you either are that. You can't just become nice. And, yeah, so no. Seb, you need to become nice. I, yeah, yeah, so nice. start, start now, and then when you do like, I don't know, Big Brother if that comes back on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then still be nice, and then MasterChef. Yeah, yeah, and then maybe I'll get a part. This is one your of trajectory, shows. and then one of Alan's shows. Yeah. <laughs> on your way up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. being a film star. <laughs> so I used to get taken to the theatre a lot as when I was growing up, mm. um, living in Manchester. Um, the Palace Theatre, not Palace in Manchester. I used to go all the time to see yeah. all the big shows there. Um, and then this musical, this new musical, came to Manchester called. Copacabana, <gasps> which I didn't really know anything about. I didn't even know who Barry Manilow was. And this new musical, and I went to see it, and I sat and watched that show, and I was like, I was 14. I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is my life. I love this. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, Barry Manilow's Copacabana is sort of what made me decide I wanted to be a wow. musical director. Oh, that's But excellent. then, of course, I had to try, <laughs> and it was very hard as a teenager, knowing you want to do that and you want to do commercial music, to try and um, hold on to your legitimate sort of training classical training because actually yeah. i'm trying to play Beethoven sonatas and all i really want to do is play Barry Manilow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so i that was a struggle then and thankfully my mum and dad um got me an audition at Cheatham school of music without telling me um oh. i didn't i just went for it i didn't think i'd get in but i went for it and thank the lord they accepted me i was a mess i know what my playing was like at 16 i was a mess but thank god they just saw some potential in me they took me on and then the two years that I worked really, really hard to then get a place in music colleges and I went to Guildhall, which is where we met. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I, that period then, the Chets period, when then I started getting into classical music um, and then a little bit at the start of Guildhall, um, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I could do classical music. Maybe because I was starting to get better at classical music and I yeah. got in music colleges. And then I did, I can't remember how it came about, but I got, um, I played for a production of Marriage Figaro somewhere while I was at the beginning of Guildhall. And one of the rep, repetitors from the Opera House was working on it or something. And he spoke to me and said, you know, you, should, you could do this. You know, why don't you take that? So I thought about that for a while as well. Um, thought, you know, actually, maybe I should do classical music. Maybe I could do, and, and apparently, um, they told me at the time you could, it's very easy at that time to go and get a job in Germany at one of the opera houses as a full-time mm. rep yeah. and to be there and do that. So I really thought about that. And then I thought, I just don't love all the repertoire enough. I love a lot of the operatic repertoire, but there's a lot that just I don't doesn't do anything for me. And I thought, I don't want to 
you know, when you've got a freelance career working in theatre, you can choose not to do Seven Brides, Seven Brothers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, whatever show you don't really like. Yeah. Whereas if you're there and you're in an institution and that's, I just thought. And then I was doing more and more theatre and I started getting involved in um, the drama department at Guildhall and I, was, I did a bit of work at Lane Theatre Arts when I was a student. And I thought, no, this is, and seeing shows as well, being in London and being around, I was like, yeah. no, this is what I want to do. Um. So yeah, the dream always was, you know, to be a musical director in yeah. a in um in a big theatre. Did you find that Guildhall was a good place for you for that reason? Um, well, it was interesting because to start with, no, because I first when when I went there and I was being serious and being classical, and I had a piano teacher that was um you know pushing me and wanting me to do that. Towards the my the middle of my time with him, I was then going. Actually, no, I don't. Yeah. Do this. Then I changed teachers, and my teacher then was very very accommodating. Oh, that's good. That. She was brilliant. Mm. She yeah. probably didn't push me enough because of that, but she was very understanding. I think it was a very fine balance she had because she's trying to trying to push me as far as she could push me, but also not too far because I had all this other stuff yeah. that I was really into. And so, so did seriously. you have to do, you, so you did a classical final recital, did you? Before? Yeah, I yeah. did. But that was, so, the, so in answer to your question, yeah. <laughs> was Guildhall? No, quite honestly. And I'd yeah. happily say that back to them and I'd go back and say, look, I think this is how you could make this better. Cause yeah. that, and, and what I did when it came to my fourth year, um, you know, so much of the, the final degree mark was, on the final recital mm. something like 50 or 60 yeah. percent and i knew i get really nervous performing as a soloist because i'm not really a performer i love to be in the pit and i love to conduct but my back's to the audience and i so i'm not a performer so i knew that i wasn't going to do very well in the final recital and i've had i'd had a memory lapse in a in a, a piano platform as well so i was dealing with all that trying to i've got a good so an hour recital of me that isn't going to reflect me as a musician no. and prepare me for a career and show what I have to offer in music, just that. So so I went and spoke to them, the director of music, and I said, right, what are you going to do? do? This isn't good enough, you know, this isn't going to be, um, this is going to show me. Actually, and the deputy head of piano, Pamela Lydiard, at the yeah. time was brilliant because she completely supported me and she agreed. And she was so much more realistic in the real world because she was a, an accompanist rather than a solo pianist. So she yeah. knew that mm. there's more to music than just being a solo piano pianist, you know. So she was. She went with me to the director of music and supported me in it. And they did, to be fair to them, they sort of marked me on some projects that I'd done and they... They marked me on IMD'd a drama project for the second year students, um, second year drama students at Guildhall, and they sort of marked me on that. Oh, that's good. So, so I was able to get a decent rem uh, mark, but I would have probably failed if it had all been on my um, solo. Oh, and I also got in my final recital, they let me accompany a singer. Oh, that's good. So yeah. I did um, a whole chunk of piano solo stuff and then i accompanied a singer oh new so, world or something <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not it was actually like um a schubert song so i got something like that but, um, disappointment i mean that, was, that would have been pushing it a bit too far i think i don't think yeah. the guilt would have covered that but i'd love to go back to guilt and work and just say look this is how to make get the best out of people. i feel like it is a changing entity it could there. be yeah possibly. they've got studio orchestra now because talking to millie ashton who's just um, heading into a postgrad there now but yeah, she yeah. um yeah i think they've i mean i don't know how much down that line it's gone but yeah. it seems like they're moving That's into that yeah. but it's just the thing with pianists like i think there was five or six pianists in my year and i you know 
none of the, none of them are classical soloists, you know. Mm. So I've sort of been the only one that's really made a, a career out of music. Yeah. Um, because I, but I had to fight for that, you know. And they were good people. They're good pianists, but they had skills as well. Mm. I mean, I guess what with I've always been lucky because from the age of fourteen, I had a very clear direction. I knew that that's what I wanted to do, and it was something that I could do, and I was yeah. very passionate about. And not everyone has that. I think no. that's lucky if you have that because you could end up sort of dithering about a bit and wasting time, not quite knowing where you're going, and losing out on um, valuable time learning. So I was lucky that I had that. And not not yet, like I said, the other pianists in my end may not necessarily have that, but they've got stuff to offer. They could be making a living in music. Yeah. Um, if the course would have helped them nurture those other skills. A bit what, more. what would you recommend to a 14 year old now that, that's just watched some a Barry Manilow show and was like, I want to do this? Um, would you recommend going down that classical route? Make, make sure you've got, get your proper training in and then do it. Or because there are other avenues where you could, you could go to a, more musical theatre course, learn piano yeah, that way. I I guess that um I mean the problem with those musical theatre courses that I have um is that they don't focus on playing the piano. They don't give you piano lessons. Oh right. So I sort of I mean maybe it's just because it's what I did or I'm old fashioned, but I just feel like no, you have to get your technique sorted out. Yeah. And there's no point trying to be an MD. And people do and they have careers of it, but I just think you're not going to be the best MD you can possibly be if you haven't sat down and nailed an instrument, mm. you have to know what it's like to be able to play something really well or be yeah. able to, uh, do something at a very, very high level. Um, yeah. Because then that's the only way you can then stand up in front of other people and get their respect. I think I think standing up in front of an orchestra, in front of a load of musicians, most of those people are probably going to be um, higher skilled than you are if you haven't nailed an instrument. And then that's not a good position to be in. Mm. So... Personally, I would say no. If you're a 14 year old, then you you piano practice the piano. You get your technique as good as it can be. Yeah. But what I would say is you listen to as much music as you can because theatre music is just like informed by so many different styles. So you try and just listen, 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 um, and work with other people because that's the problem as a pianist. You don't get much opportunity to work with other people. Mm. So a company singers working, um, you know little small orchestras i mean i did all the amdrams you know you'd get experience just working with people um yeah and do stuff for free do stuff for free that's what i'll always say to people just don't think you have to get paid for everything do stuff for free because the free stuff will then lead on to the big stuff yeah and that's when you yeah. then earn the money well, when you're at an early age when you're sort of yeah you know when you're starting like, training and stuff exactly yeah. you do, go and play for a charity concert for free is what I mean, you know, because mm. you never know somebody's friend might be there, oh, somebody might be in the audience. Yeah. So do all that sort of stuff for yeah. free. Make friends with with the people who are directing or yeah, that kind of stuff. exactly. Yeah. That's what happened to me. I left um, I left Guildhall, and um, my piano teacher's friend was playing on a show. The MD was chatting to him. He he had to pull out of a charity concert, couldn't do it. Plays. Did he know anybody? He mentioned me. I went along and played for this charity concert. The singers thought I was really good, told the MD, that MD recommended me to a fixer who then needed somebody as a keyboard player on a show. Yeah. Perfect. So you sort of, if you trace things back, you go, well, it's sort of yeah. from a charity concert and I did for free. Yeah. You know, so I just said, get yourself out there as much as possible. Just make sure people can hear you. Definitely, yeah.
Oh, Alan. Thanks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having us in your house. Yeah. And, um, and for the cherry Coca-Cola that he gave us, that was nice, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That Quite was old lovely. school, old school beverage there. Very nice. Yeah, cherry coke. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm at, at a, a roll, roller city. Roller city, <laughs> but that was the that was one we had in South Ends. In, in roller Rockford, city in that area near the Ooh. airport. Very nice. Yeah, I used to go down the nineties and and uh, just you know go around the uh, the middle bit. Uh, listening to um, <laughs> oh i feel like i'm there it's great <laughs> I love you, baby. I love you, baby. so when you were off doing that you were down the roller disco al was having that seminal moment in his life where he went to see capacabana i love the fact that that is the thing that inspired him to be yes. a musical director i mean i love barry manilow it's great <laughs> Yeah, that's what sparked the whole thing. Yeah. Got into into the musicals. Oh, and fair enough. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Imagine little Alan Williams going down to oh. wherever it was in Manchester. Yeah, the palace, was it? Yeah. Yeah, and seeing that. The Brilliant. glitter, the lights, the the smell of the grease paint. Oh my god. <laughs> and he's never left it. Um No. It's uh but it's really interesting to talk talking to him because we kind of realised through chatting to him what a huge role it is being a musical director. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I mean, on paper, it's like, uh, deliver the music for the show. <laughs> yeah. But that's quite a big thing. <laughs> and, and as you could, as you could hear from that, there's so much involved. There's, there's the getting the music, there's the arranging it, the orchestrating. We've learned what that means. Yeah. Uh, it's like, <laughs> then you've got to send it off to like, someone to copy it out and, and then make it into bits of paper to give to the musicians and you've got to book a band as well yes. book a nice band and cast the show making making sure there's nice people involved yeah and then you've got just the daily you got to warm up the the uh the cast every day yeah you've got to make sure it's good i mean there's so much involved so uh, yeah so much i hope you've learned something uh I th- already, I just can't how, imagine how, how I know I can't think how he ever has time to do anything else because what we didn't right. mention actually during this podcast he is also a very fit specimen isn't he he oh, is yeah, he, he is. does a lot of um personal training stuff and I literally don't know how he fits that in his day because no, he but- yeah he does so much. He, he he does all his training, and then he he always he preps his food. He's always eating yeah. out of the Tupperware box. <laughs> I admire that. Man. Yeah, I admire healthy that. Body, healthy mind, <laughs> and uh, and then he he listens to his musicals. Yeah, he's got a, a very full day. I think you know. He's, don't know where else she could fit in then. Well, quite. Um, There's not a lot of time quite. left over for cross stitch, is there? That's for sure. No, no. I didn't see any cross stitch. Not house. not a smidgen. No. <laughs> no. But, um, well, that was but, great yeah, to speak that to was him. good and yeah thank you alan thanks for making time for us and uh yeah hope you enjoyed that chat yeah and, it was lovely uh, yeah it's been quite a fun week we, we, we spoke to alan um, we spoke to uh someone else for another oh yeah that might be out next week but we've done some uh, done some podcasting this week. That's sort of mainly what I've been doing. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? I feel like we've got back ahead in the game now, haven't we? We're yeah, up to speed. Got, we're one ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've learned our lesson. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Yeah, we really have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but aside from that, have you had a good week, Verity? I, I suppose <laughs> so. I mean, 
Yeah, have I? I mean, it's not been the most worldly optimistic week, has it? <laughs> I've tried no. to stay chipper, you know. There's a few yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I've started watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and that that is great. Oh, that's yeah. like a great antidote. Really <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's really joyous. So that's excellent. But, but actually, I was going to say... I'm sending big virtual love to everyone out there who's feeling really Mm. crap this week because it has been bad. There has been an air of misery. And I just think it's okay. we're going to get through it. But if you're feeling terrible this week, I'm sending a big virtual hug, whether you want it or not. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, come on. We've just got to just hang in there. Yes. I mean, but, oh, my God, it's going to be ages. Oh, It's going to be it's going to be ages, but we've just got to we've got, got to you know, do we're, it we're all there together we're, yeah we're in this rubbish situation but i mean six yeah. months or so whatever it is but come on we, we we're gonna be okay yeah we've got to find strategies to get through this we yeah. will we'll do it it's gonna be okay i mean maybe stick in the odd zoom quiz again <laughs> no no I, i'll take that straight back i'm sorry <laughs> no, don't say that again. <laughs> never say that ever again <laughs> No, um, I mean, I don't know. No. I suppose, I, th- I guess every week can only be a bit better than this one, can't it? Really? It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to get better. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to learn the guitar this this lockdown. Oh, That's, good. Uh, going to do it, yeah. Well, you played me a lovely um, scale before there. That was beautiful. I, I know, and um, I, I might, well, that, I've, I've mastered uh, about three major keys, but <gasps> there's loads of different ways of playing the major keys on the guitar, I found out. and uh, Yeah. And... I mean, and then you've got the minor keys and then Ooh. guitarists, they play um, uh, modes too. Do which, they? Um, which you can't play on any other instrument. It's just on the guitar. That, uh, <laughs> All, this sure. All this new knowledge. Hang on a minute. No, <laughs> modal I know, I know modal things. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know some of the modes. Well, good on you. you know. <laughs> so, uh, There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to gain then here. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah yeah, so going to write that symphony too and, yeah. uh, and all yeah. that. I'm feeling feel so creative and uh, yeah. it's great. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah uh, it is. Well what done. What are you going to do in the, in the second lockdown, Verity? Well, do you know, I think I'm going to do what I said last time, which is is practice and run. I, I said those things last time. I didn't see them through mm. very well, but I, I will. I'm going to read lots of books, yeah. actually, I think, as well. I've got a massive pile of books to read. And I didn't really read first time round, so I think I might I might try and do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good practice, wasn't it, the first one? Yeah, it was. It was yeah, a warm-up for this um, one. Yeah. yeah. I'll probably um, eat a lot of chocolate, I imagine, and takeaways, if I can. <laughs> Wow, big spender. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's that's yeah. true. Actually, I won't yeah. be doing that. What are you going to buy that with? <laughs> yeah. Oh, whoops. I can't even do that. No, don't go there. <laughs> no. uh, well, uh, look, we love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And, um, and hold tight, guys. It's, yeah. It's going to be fine. It'll Come be fine on. In the long run, it's all going to be fine. Yeah, it really and, will. Um, and you know, listening keep listening to, to us. Keep listening. Yeah. We'll keep putting them out we won't do anything like we did last week we're gonna be regular and <laughs> and so <laughs> it's gonna be good <laughs> yeah 
yeah it will it's always gonna be good we well, hope it'll be good anyway <laughs> uh let's let's go, let's go. Um, we're doing this at like 10 to 10 which <laughs> yeah. is so late for me now <laughs> and i think we've I'm tried delirious. to pump as much yeah we're as much positivity into the last few minutes as we could yeah. physically muster Ooh, and it's getting a bit much amazing. now isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah come on come on lads uh, okay but right. we'll see yeah. you next week yeah. though see you next week we've we've got something in the can it's definitely going to go out next week yeah. so uh we'll see you next week and have a great seven days and uh we'll see you there <laughs> bye bye When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.